This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. Today, we begin a series of conversations on a topic we could probably focus every single episode of this podcast on, technology. We'll only have a few episodes on this this season, but we're probably going to come back to this topic year after year, simply because the rapid evolving nature of technology requires that. To help us to begin to unpack this, I want to share a recent conversation I had with Jeremy Pettit. Jeremy is a communications professor at Moody Bible Institute and has a master's degree in communication and culture. Jeremy has a long history with Awana, and you can learn more about him in the show notes today. We started the conversation with him defining what technology is and what scripture has to say about it. Thank you for listening to the Resilient Disciples podcast. I would first rather just clarify what how I would define technology. Please. Because I, I think that's, a, that, that's one of those points where, um, so I, in teaching a class at Moody here, I'll ask the students, and I've done this multiple times, define technology for me. And we wind up with a whiteboard of things and no one agrees. Like no one even repeats the other person's definition. Sure. And they'll look it up online and they'll say, I, 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 this is what I think it is, but I don't know how you got that. And that doesn't make sense to me. And so, the problem is that we don't actually often define it clearly enough and broadly enough to be able to say what it is. I would say that technology uh, is the tools and the systems that humans use to shape their worlds. Mm. Now, it's not uh, most people when we talk about technology say that think that technology is hardware. They think it's a tool. So mm-hmm. you say, okay, well, you know, I guess a drill would be a piece of technology, or I, uh, I would say, obviously, my phone is a piece of technology. Okay, that, that makes sense, because this is a tool. Um, however, technology is also a way of thinking, not just a tool. For instance, uh, when Henry Ford comes up with the assembly line, he essentially changes the way people are thinking, not just the tools that they're using to create these cars, which then goes on to McDonald's and, and, and all of the other things that come after that, that come with an assembly line all the way down to getting your, your Chipotle this week is going to be that way. So it's a system too. And, and, and that system and that way of thinking that it teaches us essentially prioritizes efficiency. Yeah. It says the efficiency to be faster, more powerful, more effective. That's what we're after. And so in defining technology that way, if we say it's both the tools and the systems, then we can say that there was technology uh, all the way back at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the technology, uh, for instance, one author would argue that technology, the first technological innovation is Adam and Eve putting uh, leaves on to cover themselves. It's a tool that we created to cover ourselves. Sure. Uh, And and then technically, if that's the case, so, and this, this is kind of a a nice little microcosm of scripture's uh, tension that it deals with, with technology is if that's the case, then God giving them clothes is the first technological update. So God does the first Mm -hmm. 2.0. You made leaves. That's not going to work for very long. Let me show you what it would look like if you did it better. So in scripture, we have this ongoing tension of there are moments where humans use technology well. There are moments where humans use technology poorly. There are moments where God uses technology. And this is the thing that freaks people out. And you say, well, how could God use technology? Well, let me ask you a question. I, I think we would say that it was obvious that 
Adam and Eve needed something to till the ground. So they figured that out, but they didn't know how to build an ark. Yeah. So God is doing technological creation. And, and you can even make a case to some degree culturally for the fact that when he makes the tabernacle, God lays everything out. He was the exact widths and dimensions and how everything's mm -hmm. supposed to be. It's very architectural all the way through the scripture. And some people would say, well, okay, obviously we're going to say the technology is, you know, but I, I, I keep pushing people lately. And there's a great book on this um, called from the garden to the city by John Dyer. Okay. But one of Dyer's points he's making is we left the garden. We're never going back to a garden. We're actually going to go to a city and a city has technology built into it. it, has roads and gates. It has houses and places. Jesus said, I'm going to build a house. Those are things you don't need in a garden. So there's this tense relationship with technology that the scripture keeps talking about. And ultimately what it comes down to is the same thing that every other decision we make comes down to. Are we using this for our own broken, selfish, sinful need? Or are we using this in ways that help and promote both human flourishing and divine glory? Amen. I love that definition because I think folks too often, like you said, um, minimize what technology is and therefore create separate uh, mental ecosystems for this is my phone and these screens and the flashiness of the rapidly evolving technology. And then over here is all the holy things, all the scripture things and all the God things. And it's so critical, like any problem that needs to be addressed, that you admit where the rules of the road are. So sure. I think it's also helpful at baseline for us to start at that place because I completely agree with you. And I think that part of where the church has lost its ground with this conversation around technology is not is by not doing what you just said by having two of a limited view on technology, which has created both turning screens into some strange forbidden fruit, but mm -hmm. also where we've lost a lot of ground to culture. Well, and, and, and the thing that we have to admit is that uh, the technological innovations, <clears throat> so there's this great um, triad that uh, Douglas Adams, the guy that wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, came up with. He said that technology seems to fall in three categories. It's either okay. uh, the stuff that has always been, which was before I was born, so I don't know any different. Uh, which, by the way, just for all the people out there who are listening to this, I'd like to remind you that uh, the printing press, which made the Bibles that you read today, was a technological innovation that's only 500 years old, which is not long in the history of the world. So the thing that you believe, that's a technology, mm. a medium that was created by someone to do something, a tool, but also create a system, which, by the way, hello, Juana friends, but I'd like to remind you that there weren't verse numbers in the Greek and Hebrew. That's a system way of thinking that I can find John 316. That's a system in a book, which is a piece of technology. So the whole thing has been changed by our technological ways of thinking. But in those three things, he says, the first one is technology. Uh, anything that was before us is just the way the world is. It's perfectly okay. Sure. Uh, anything that happens between the time that I'm born and about the time that I'm 30 uh, probably is the greatest thing that's ever been made in the existence of the world. And if I'm really good at it and really maybe a little lucky, uh, I could turn it into a career. Mm. And then after about the age of 35 or 40, any technology that comes along is actually the end of the world and will destroy everything and be the worst thing. And it's going to ruin everything until it's been around for about 10 years, in which case then it's kind of okay. Or if we're fine. That's about how people act with this. Yeah. No, and I, I don't mean to laugh, but I think the everyone who's listening is going to be able to think about that exact person who talks about the advancement of think technology about your in the world. Yeah. 
Think about your refrigerator. Do you talk about it? Do you, do you go, hey, look at this amazing thing. My wife's grandfather had a refrigerator. Yeah. He unplugged it every night because he was afraid it was going to break. But he showed people his refrigerator when they came in. Same thing with some of our parents with a microwave. Like yeah. they just look at this thing. It's amazing. We, we don't even think about it anymore. We don't talk about it. We don't invite people into our house to see our refrigerator unless it has a tablet and a screen and a TV yeah. in it or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Which is coming. We don't do that. Yeah. You're going to be able to start having your refrigerator ask you how you're doing. Um, <laughs> so I want to I want to broaden that conversation then because I think we've begun to touch on it, but the church has this complicated relationship with technology where to bring it into social media, the, I think a lot of the conversation with the church has gotten pretty stilted where it's been, you have to just, you can't be on social media. You have to ignore this profane system of the world Mm -hmm. or it's been, or no, actually you need to go use that as a purely evangelism tool and you need to reach people how would you begin to define how the church, particularly the local church relates to technology? So I teach a class in media strategies here at Moody. And one of the things that I talk about on a consistent, I had a feeling this would be in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And and so one of the things that we talk about in that class, because we are talking about the church and Christian organizations as well, but one of the things we're talking about in there is what's the end game. What what are we after? What's the point? And and so if I said, you know, what, what is the church here for? And there'll be people who say, well, obviously the church is here for um, it, it's here because it's supposed to have preaching. Okay, that's true. The apostles' teaching is part of the Acts 2 church. Uh, it's here because we might actually need to worship God, so we have music. Okay, I get that. But if I asked you, are there's, there's the people out there speaking as well as the church? Sure. And if I asked you, is there as good a music as you hear in a church? Sure. So if I had to boil down what does Acts 2.42 say the purpose of the church is? It is a community, a body of believers who are supposed to live in community and show and act as the light of the world to the people around them, the love of Jesus Christ. So community then is the end game. Mm. So the question that I ask my students is, how does the technology that we're using foster or diminish community in the people that we're trying to engage with. And if you say, well, we could build the entire community online. Well, the truth is at some point that relationship is not deep enough for it to be as valuable as God intended it to be. And that's what we're seeing right now in this pandemic. We're seeing people who haven't been to church and they're starting to feel that gap. And that's actually what I think could be the best thing to come out of this. You're feeling a hole. This isn't working. This isn't good enough. Good. Go back to church. When all this stuff gets figured out, go back to church because you need to be with those people. Because yeah. as much as I like having this conversation with you over Zoom, I'd love to be having it over coffee. Yeah, exactly. Because that's more powerful because in person, I don't have this thing between us. It's just you and me. Yeah. That's community. And that's what we're pushing towards. So if the things that we use, that social media, the websites, the apps, all the things we're building out does not continue to reinforce the presence in person of community in the local church and the body of believers, then I think it's missed its point. Mm, That's really good. Because then it does allow for things like the opportunity to engage in a service online to go back to more of its rightful place where mm-hmm. it's, you're not diminishing the, that as a, in its totality, you're just yep. simply saying, this is not the primary thing. And I think people, Correct. 
feel that. And I, one of the things that's really interesting in seeing some of the research that's come out is how this community in particular, those who are investing in children's ministry are feeling that because we've lost a year for our kids and we're going to be spending a long time trying to figure out how this is impacting their lives. But one of the things that everyone who's listening to this, I'm sure can understand is that whatever you're getting online is not like what you get in person. And Absolutely. to your point, and this is a whole separate podcast, but to your point, the church has a tremendous oppor- opportunity to be far more invitational because everyone who wasn't a part of the family of believers before this started is feeling that too. Yeah. So if you, uh, on my website at jeremypettit.com, I actually have a message. And if this is something that you're, you're struggling with or thinking through, there's a message on there called the gift of presence. Okay. And that's really what that message is about. It's about the notion that deep down, this thing will always be second best. He's holding always. up a phone for those. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just that it'll always be second best. And here's how I know that. And one of the things that I talked about in that message was that John, in multiple places in his epistles, says, I write this with my own hand, but I long to be with you that my joy may be complete. Mm. It's not that he said, hey, listen, I'm not going to write you letters because it's not good enough. He said, listen, I get that I can't be with you. And thank God he wrote it because we wouldn't read it if he didn't. He used the medium. He used something to communicate. But he said, this thing that I'm writing you is not full joy. My joy is not complete until I can be with you Mm. in person, in essence, telling you that all of these things that come between us, that this thing, that that letter, that whatever is always second best, always second best, because the most important thing is to be in person, caring, present. And that's a gift to people that we starting now to realize because we've had it taken away. Yeah. Well, and I think that is where the church really can be different than technology. You know, I, I've heard people compare what we're doing online to, you know, competition uh, for kids' attention. And the reality is, as scary as you may feel like Facebook is, Facebook can't walk over to your kid's house and hang out with them in the backyard. The church can. Facebook can't, you know, mm-hmm. Disney is not able to knock on your kid's door. There has to be more, there is more of an impersonal relationship there. And the church has, is uniquely positioned to take its rightful place as leading the world by doing the things that you're talking about, about engaging in person. Mm -hmm. And to your point though, using the technology the way that it was designed. One of the things that I'm mindful of for folks, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly being 30 and working in a ministry that has lots of folks who are older than 30 is the way that- it feels like technology has gotten out of control. The rapidly sort of evolving nature of, you know, the fact that 500 years ago, the the printing press came to the fact that in 2007 is when the iPhone came out. Sure. How have you seen that sort of rapidly almost chaotic levels of evolution play out in your own life? Or, you know, you are someone who has a wide enough lens of communications. Is it not actually that rapid compared to previous generations? All right. So I'll deal with the second question first. Great. And then I'll get back to the, how have I seen it play out? So here's what I tell students and people that I speak to about this all the time. You have no clue how uh, explosive the moment that you live in. (laughs) It is more powerful of an explosion than any nuclear weapon you've ever thought of. 
you live in the explosive aftermath of the birth of the internet. This is literally unprecedented territory because you could say, well, the only other time we could come close from in history of communication would be the printing press. And even that took some time to get out there. Right. For instance, you took, you know, 30, 40 years to get to the point where most people can read. You have it less than that in this really tiny window. You have a massive explosion of technology. So the first thing I usually tell people is, first of all, just give yourself some grace. You are living through a historic period of time that no one could have prepared anyone for. So don't have this look like, well, I don't know why we haven't figured this out yet. We haven't figured it out yet because nobody's ever done this before. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Why are kids leaving the church after high school? What if the strategy to change this started in children's ministry? The Child Discipleship Forum is where children's ministry leaders, senior pastors, and parents gather to collaborate, pray, learn, and dialogue about the most critical factors to shape long-term discipleship in children. Featuring speakers like Ed Stetzer and Gabe Lyons, as well as children's ministry champions like Dr. Wes Stafford, we will unite together at the Child Discipleship Forum in Nashville or online on September 16th and 17th. This is a critical moment for us to shape the future of the church and make the greatest generation of disciples the world has ever seen. Save your seat at childdiscipleshipforum.com. The thing that I told my students two days ago in class was that their first cell phone had more processing power than I believe all of the Apollo missions to the moon. Yeah. And you had that in your pocket. You have no clue how powerful the stuff you're dealing with is. And so we're trying to learn to do this along the way. And what we've seen is we started off and we were really super energetic and super excited and super hype. And so we swung over here and said, just take it all, let's do everything. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to go, maybe this wasn't a good idea. And we start to swing back. And so the natural tendency in a pendulum is swing all the way back, get rid of it all. Let's all go Amish, let's get off the grid, let's do it. The reality is we'll probably settle in some space in the middle that's probably a little bit of a healthier balance. And my response is the technology doesn't control you, you choose. So you choose. Mm. You Mm. choose how you want to engage with this stuff and what you want to do. You say, but I got to do some of this for my work. But you choose the boundaries in which that can happen. You say, I'm not going to keep my email on my phone. Cool. That's a good choice. That'll keep you away from having to check your business email all the time and put it on your, I don't know, desktop or laptop or iPad, put it somewhere else where you can't get to it. You make these choices. I I was kind of in a really weird, unique position. My dad was learning computers. He he finished high school, but he never went to college. So he was learning computers as they're coming out in the early eighties. In fact, I, I had a computer in my house when I was about five which would be a long time ago, early 80s, one of the first computers that was made for home. And he, he got it so that he could learn to do it. And by the way, the computer was as big as a table. Like sure. I had 16, so it was gigantic. And so every single time, because my dad continued in that field that a new thing came out, my dad got it so that he could learn it so that he could keep growing and getting a job and moving on mm-hmm. with his career. And so I had the, you know, the desktop computer and I had it in college, had it in my room, which was a big deal. Uh, Even though my parents didn't have much money, they keep finding ways to buy technology because they're like, this is where it's going. Mm -hmm. So I have the internet in the mid nineties and I have an email account that's free with Juno and all kinds of other (laughs) AOL stuff and all the stuff, that stuff happened. 
And what happened for me over time, because it kept getting faster, that's the point. It keeps getting faster. I had to explain to my 85-year-old father-in-law, he said, why do I have to get a new phone? Is it because the phone's wearing down? I said, no, it's not because the phone's wearing down. The phone is actually about the same as it was. The internet and the images and the technology is improving and it's left yours behind. It's gotten better. There's nothing wrong with yours. It just can't keep up now. And it comes down to a singular question for me that I've wrestled with my whole life. I think this is a perfect question to ask, no matter which setting you're playing with technology in, is do I need this to be fast and efficient or do I need this to be slow? Mm. Supposed to be fast or is it supposed to be slow? Because I watch technology speed up things. I watch, I can make a paper faster. Hey, we can type up a paper and it's all edited and everything's perfect and it's going. Awesome. Right. I, I want that. I yeah. want it to be faster. But there are some things that I can't make faster. There's some things I shouldn't make faster. Mm-hmm. So the example I get is we could use new technologies to do things that we probably shouldn't do. For instance, you ever try making chocolate chip cookies in a microwave? <laughs> See, some things aren't meant to be fast. That's it. Yeah, that's great. You yeah. go fast. They look, they get gooey. They burn on the outside. They're really disgusting. By the time you just throw the whole thing away because it's a mess. Yeah. That's actually kind of how human relationships work. Mm-hmm. They're not efficient. In fact, I would argue they're probably the most inefficient things in the world when they're done well. Your Mm. favorite thing, I'd like to go for a walk. Well, we could get there faster if we took a car. That's not what it's about. I want to have coffee with someone and sit and talk for two hours. We could exchange that information over email. It's not what it's about. It's about being with one another and taking our time and enjoying it because those are the moments we remember when we were inefficient human beings who actually just enjoyed the presence of the people around us. And that's never going to happen with technology involved. So does mm. it need to be faster or does it need to be slower? Which one? That's great. I think too, what people can take from that is the examples are already very obvious, right? The reason that your grandparents in some ways are happier than you are is because they have accepted that things are going to be slower and then they're, and they're okay with that. And Mm -hmm. finding those little ways in which you can keep technology in its place and -hmm. the things that need to be faster, be faster. And the things that need to be slower, be slower are ways that you can use this well and celebrate the giftedness of it. Right. One part of where I get hurt or part of where I get tripped up, I should say by folks is this conversation around how evil some of this is. And it's like, no, that social media is not evil. The way people use it is evil. And if you put it in its right place, it can actually be a really helpful tool. How have you seen churches or ministries or just people in this space that you respect use this really well? What does a healthy relationship with technology look like? So I, I think that I would, and kind of building off what you just said there, I think that the first thing I would do is warn of a danger. Mm. Technology is not evil but it does bend our proclivity to believe that we are in control more than we should allow it to. And we, oh, because we're complicit, our, yeah. we want to believe that we're in control. So we want to believe that I can know everything about the stock market, or I can know everything about what's going on on the other side of the world, or I, I can know everything about that's happening inside my ministry because I can look at the analytics and I'll tell it. Yeah, here's the problem. At some point, um, it's going to start affecting the way you think 
Mm. And the danger and the warning here is make sure that as you start using technology, if you can keep it in its proper place, recognize that if you're not careful, it starts becoming efficiency in your own mind. And what happens with efficiency? We start turning, hey, these little kids that came in and they got these big smiles and they're just excited to be here. And you're like, that's one giving unit. That's one (laughs) participation unit. That's efficiency at work. When you describe a person made in the image of God, fallen and broken, but deeply loved by him. You describe that person as a giving unit or a participation unit. That's an efficiency mindset. You stopped making them people and you started making them efficient. And when we're trying to be efficient and effective, and we're trying to get through, I got to get this and I got 10,000 and I got this. And this is what, at some point that's going to start messing with your head. And so my concern and my warning to people as they start this process of thinking through how do we use it is to first stop for a moment and say, I am talking to people. Mm. Who, like C.S. Lewis likes to say, I've never met an ordinary person, a mere mortal. I've met a person that if if I saw them in truth, the way God sees them, I would either be tempted to worship them or run away in horror. These are not ones and zeros. Yeah, That's the danger of the efficiency thing. So I get when people are trying to tell me this is evil. I'm saying, "I, I understand, but really what it's doing is drawing the brokenness out of us. Yeah, It's drawing that desire for control out of us. And that's what we're really trying to combat here by asking ourselves, how would Jesus look back at the situation? Because he always saw every single person who was coming to him as a person. This is the whole discussion when Jesus is saying, let the little children come to me. Why? Because the disciples said, this is a waste of your time. It's not efficient. Mm-hmm. There are better uses of your time than being these little kids. And he's like, I want to waste my time. <laughs> I want to hang out with them. Yeah, This is the kingdom of heaven. If you expect that you're going to get to the kingdom of heaven and it's going to be efficient, I've got news for you. Yep. It's going to be one amazing, splendid waste of time. <laughs> and we're all going to love it. So think about how you want to create that kingdom mentality that celebrates the person and keeps the technology to the side to say, hey, this actually helps me get to the people that are can't make it to church today. So we will have a service online. We'll put it out there because we know that the people who see it will want to come back. Yep. Hey, you know what? I got ways to check our kids in so that we can keep track of them. And I got ways to check our volunteers in so that we make sure that we've done all the things we need to do for child protection. And all that's in a database so we can keep it all organized and we're never going to let it fall. So that when that volunteer steps up to meet that kids for the first time and bends down and gives him a smile and says, I'm so glad you're here. The technology's remained in the background, yep. the tool to accomplish what we wanted to and not the mentality that's changed how we do ministry. Yeah. Cause I think this community, this Kidman community is well served to champion this conversation because you and the person who's leading a children's ministry are leading the least efficient ministry in the context of your local church, because you are leading a group that has the least spending power, the least giving power, the, the smallest voice, and therefore become the least and the lost. And therefore you, the person who's listening to this can champion this within the context of your church. I'm curious, you know, this is much more prescriptive than maybe we need to go, but I'm curious how you see folks who, who want to do this well within the context of their church. And they're seeing their church either sort of chase this like um, like an idol or the reverse of that. Because I think the solution is probably pretty similar of ignoring it completely. 
how do you begin to change a culture to more closely align with what you view as sort of God's view of technology? So the, the, the way that I guess I would frame this is this, um, God seems to, when he uses technology, has a plan, a thing he wants to accomplish. And then he decides on a technology to accomplish it, not the other way around. And often the danger in both contexts, the people who are really nervous about it and the people who are like, hey, we don't want to do this. And the people who are like, yes, let's do it all, is they're allowing the technology to drive the conversation Mm. rather than, hey, let's not actually let the technology, let's actually make decisions about what we believe is best, the wisest, the most discerning path forward. And then say, now what tools do we need? Because you wouldn't say, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to build a garden and you go, well, we're just going to do the whole thing with our hands. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. You're saying, hey, we're going to build a 10 by 10 garden. I need the biggest backhoe you can find. Like that's not, we're going to get one bucket of dirt. It doesn't matter. That's stupid too. We don't need a giant one picking the appropriate tools and systems for what we're trying to accomplish in that space. So what's the plan? Start strategically by asking, what am I trying to accomplish here? And then we pick the things that we need, just like we've always been doing. We've always done this. We haven't said, hey, I got a computer and I need to fix it. Go get me a hammer. Like, no, that's not how you fix a computer, but I have a nail that's sticking out. Go get me a hammer because that's the right thing to fix it with. Yep. How do we actually use it? And, and so this is actually what you're talking about is actually two ends of an extreme. And this is where people wrestle. <clears throat> One end is referred to as determinism. It says that technology will make us do this, this and this. So technology itself is the problem. Yeah. That's one end of the spectrum. And the other end of the spectrum is called instrumentalism. And it says that technology is simply a tool. It has nothing to do with us. We just use it however we want. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Because the moment that I get a hammer, I want to hit things. <laughs> that, that's, that's the old phrase. That, and I yeah. say it about my youngest son. Like, to the man with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. So, so there is something there. So it's not simply saying, well, the technology has nothing to do with it. We can use it without values. No, it has something built in. But at the same time, it's not the technology that's going to ruin us. Yeah. It's us. <laughs> yeah, we're, so we're good enough at that by ourselves. Choose what you want to do. Yeah, we're yeah, good enough we, We've been doing that by ourselves for quite a long time. Yeah. So choose what it is we need to do and then ask ourselves, and here's the key, what do we gain by using this technology and what do we lose? Because we always lose something when we gain something. Mm. With technology, there's always a trade-off. So if we can't ask the question, what's the trade-off? I gain something. Hey, you know what? We could broadcast our service to everybody at our church and they don't have to leave their house. Great. We gain something. We have the ability to push it out there. What do we lose? We lost in-person relationships, slow talk, social engagement, the things that make us human. We lost a bunch of those. Yeah. Well, okay. Do I have to do one or the other? Well, I could actually do a little bit of both. Well, I'm constantly pushing back to the first, the best thing that I can say we should do. Yeah. What's the trade-off? That's great. Because I think I so value your perspective here because I think what folks need to hear from this is how it gets framed theologically. Because I think when you look at technology like this sort of separate thing, you don't wind up prioritizing like you like you can or like you should. And as a result, a lot of things get messed up in it. And I, I really like that framing of it brings out what's already in us because I think that's going to connect with a lot of people. And, and recognize that in any sense of the word, in any time someone says to me, well, technology is an evil thing or 
you know, it's not it's not what was intended to be, or you know, it's evil. Then my response is, but it seems as though God always has the capacity to redeem things. Yeah. The cross is a technology, a torture tool of death. And yet somehow he takes something so brutal and ugly and dangerous and turns it around on its head to make it something that we never thought it could be. I'm not saying we should make more crosses. I'm simply saying the moment that you think there, this thing cannot be redeemed, God says, I, I can redeem everything. Yeah. I can turn everything. If you will keep, instead of trying to control it and make it about you, bring it back to me. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.